This week on A Lively Experiment, a parliamentary two-step in the Rhode Island Senate has opponents of gun control legislation seething. And should the state kick in millions of additional dollars for a proposed soccer stadium project in Pawtucket? A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Maureen Moakley, retired professor of political science at the University of Rhode Island, attorney and legal analyst Lou Polner, and former state representative John Brian. Hello and welcome to this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. Gun control legislation has unexpectedly taken center stage in the waning weeks of the General Assembly. And this week, the leadership in the Senate showed how committed it is to passing three bills aimed at putting restrictions on firearm sales and use. But what they did has some crying foul. Uh, John, let me, uh, let me start with you. Let's just set the table first. The Senate Judiciary Committee was listening to these bills. They t it went down on a 6-6 tie. And so instead of having that legislation die, they took the House legislation, came over, and took it directly to the Senate. And that has some people asking, why do we even have committees? And I think that's a great question because, look, what they did is perfectly legal. They're the Senate rules. The senators voted for the rules, and they accepted them, and that's the rules they're following. They can do that. Uh, however, I think it shakes confidence in the process, especially by the general public. People drive to the state house. They have to find a place to park. Mm -hmm. They have to go through security. They wait in the halls for hours. They go into an incredibly hot room, and they testify for three minutes, and then they leave, and they think they've made a difference. And after all of that, when a bill dies in committee in the Senate, it gets brought back anyway. But they were they erupted. You know, the, the, gun, the, the gun people were thrilled when it died in committee. They thought they had their victory. And they did. And, and they, they had a victory. And so what, what ends up happening... It's not from it, the jaws of... And then you get... You know, it, it's parliamentary chicanery. There's no question. Uh, but it is legal. However, I think it, it shakes the foundation, and I think it also calls into question the overall committee process. Why have committees? And I agree with that. And... Look, I know that this is a hyper-emotional issue. People feel that they need to get this done. But do the end justify the means in the end, because in the long term? Because now, let's say the opposition party wants to pull the same exact move later on, and the leadership says, no way, you can't do that. Now, the, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. This could have snapback. Now, if they're going to allow this kind of move in the future for the, for the opposition party, that's fine. It just, it, it reeks of a play. I don't know. I disagree. I mean, I think the end does justify the means. And I think if you think people know that it didn't understand the process and that it somehow or other they know it didn't get into committee, I don't think the general public is really concerned about that. Now, people that, you know, are involved in the system, I think that's one thing. But this was an extraordinary move. It was perfectly legal. The leadership has the right to do it. And uh, I think in the end, it was worthwhile. Are you saying because the overall vote was 25 to 11 in that the entire yeah, Senate, it right. wasn't even a close vote, right. that words, it should have yeah, gotten I mean, out? And, I, and, and but moreover, I mean, interestingly, committees are becoming more important these past sessions. In other words, there's more, um, I've been looking at this in another, in another context, but there's a little more uh, participation. People get more involved. You go to committee hearings three years ago, 
uh, people don't, sh the committee doesn't show up. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a very lackadaisical system. So it, I think it's more robust now, and that's good. But I also think in this particular case, um, I'm supporting the leadership and what they did, particularly in light of what um, the vote that ultimately came out. Well, I got two takeaways. One, Dominic Ruggiero, the Senate president, is probably thinking about stepping down because he's got an A rating with the uh, NRA and he was uh, he orchestrated this vote that mm -hmm. got these bills through. Mm -hmm. So A, it tells me he doesn't really care about the contributions from the NRA. He did what he thought was more important for the safety of our schools. And, mm -hmm. and the second takeaway is, is that uh, <coughs> two out of three ain't bad. Uh, one of them isn't going to pass constitutional muster and that's the one that has the uh, magazine uh, limit uh, to 10. We'll get to that in a second on Parliament. I just think that, in, and I, I can't disagree with everything that Professor Moakley said, it's just that if you believe that committees have become more robust, I think that this parliamentary move makes the Senate Judiciary Committee almost feckless. They, they, they came to a decision. They had a hard-fought fought debate. They, they took testimony, and yet their decision was bypassed for the, for the greater whole. I the, agree with him on that, too. The real question is, though, look, they never put a vote out until they, they, they can count the votes. Yeah. So it was this guy from West Warwick that changed his vote, or did Ruggiero know? I mean, you got to wonder, how did it go to the committee vote if he didn't count the votes? Did he mm -hmm. think it was going to be a 7 to 5? And we may never know that. Yeah, no. But that's what surprised me the most, because there are very few surprises at the General Assembly, right? Right, yeah. Jim, yeah. what really surprised me was that uh, the Senate Minority Leader, Dennis Algieri, did not show up and vote ex officio in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Could have done that yeah, and right. made it a 7 to 6 vote. Right, well, and that Ruggiero and Mike, uh, Mike McCaffrey showed up. And how often would they do that to get it to 6 to 6, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the legality. So uh, the, uh, the three bills were passed. We're raising the age from 18 to 21. Legal. Uh, legal. And then there the magazine capacity, which is the issue. And so I think what the, some other states have done this. The question is, you, there's no grandfather clause. So if you own something right. greater than 10, is that search and seizure taking a property? So we got two lawyers here. Let's weigh in on that. It, it certainly is. But, you know, I do want to touch on the other uh, bill uh, is the long gun. Yes. You can't carry a loaded long gun in public. <clears throat> What are the police going to be doing if you're walking down the street with a, with a, with a, with a long gun, a rifle? Are they going to just pull you over and say, I want to see if it's loaded? Don't they have to have probable cause in there somewhere? Well, that might be probable cause <clears throat> if it's illegal. No, not if it's empty. If it's not loaded, it's legal. Oh, I yeah. didn't realize that. Th that's the nuance. It yeah. says you cannot carry a loaded rifle or a long gun in public. What about the other issue legally? It is a taking. Uh, first of all, the Second Amendment is the Second Amendment, and I think it would fall on those grounds alone. But even if it doesn't, and they find that they had the right to be able to make that kind of a law, mm -hmm. anything over 10 uh, rounds, and John and I were talking, he's got several guns that are over 10 rounds. In six months, if he still has those, he's he will be a felon. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, it's a taking, an illegal taking like eminent domain. You've got to compensate people when you take something from them. And if you're saying that you can't have this anymore, then the reality is, is that they have to compensate you for that. They and didn't is, attach a fiscal note to this, did no. they? No. <laughs> and, 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 and lastly, there's no grandfather clause. And the reason there's no grandfather clause is because Attorney General Nerona said it, it's meaningless because they don't put serial numbers, they don't put registration mm -hmm. numbers on magazines. Mm -hmm. So the police would never be able to prove if you had that 30-round uh, magazine before the law kicked in right. or after. Right. So. 
Go ahead, Maureen. Um, I think, you know, I think the thing is there's a possibility that this may be a problem. There's a case in California that's yep. going to come up soon, and that's very similar to this one, so we'll get an idea. Nerona thinks he can, he can prevail, but we have to see. That case is already in the Supreme Court, the one from the Ninth Circuit in yes. California. So then we get to the Supreme Court. And elections have consequences. Yes, don't they, they do. I mean, because don't you think the Supreme Court deciding this now is a lot different than the one we had three years ago? Mm -hmm. No question. Absolutely. Yeah, right. right? So what do you think legally? I think, uh, as Lou said, look, if, they, if the government takes your house, they have to give you fair market value. In this, I think what the government will try to say is, well, we've given you options. You can go, we're not taking it from you, we're telling you that you have to turn it in. You can transfer it to someone in another state. You can sell it. So we're not taking it, we've given you options. But it is a taking, number one. Number two, I think making potential felons out of law-abiding gun owners, you have to, in Rhode Island, and, and I find that what I find most interesting about this is that so many of the people authoring these laws, putting them forward and argue, arguing for them, have never touched a firearm, have no idea what it takes to own a firearm, and really don't have any concept of gun ownership whatsoever. And so when you say that... But that's know, true about a lot of laws in the General Assembly. But particularly with this very emotional... Emotional arguments, you know, won the day here. When you're talking about, in Rhode Island, having to get your blue card, having waiting periods, you know, being a responsible gun owner, what these laws have done, and particularly the magazine law, has made law-abiding gun owners into potential felons and is will and unwittingly has created and will create a black market. Look, Jim, you can get anything you want anywhere if you really want it. I mean, I know that this feels like Rhode Island has done something, okay, but the way they went about it, it's only going to affect the people like me who are responsible gun owners. You know, I own, I mean, I own a, 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 a German pistol that has a, a, a manufacturer's magazine of 15 rounds. That's the, how they make the gun. And so now they say, well, you've owned that gun for five years and you keep it in a lock safe, John, but now you're not allowed to have that any longer. That's, that, that's not correct. Well, I, my take here is that <clears throat> in targeting the magazines, why don't they just ban assault weapons? What about that? In other words, we wouldn't, this debate wouldn't be so vibrant if they just went ahead and did that. I mean, I've talked to gun owners, people that belong in, in go to, they Fire shoot, ranges. firing ranges, like that. They'll say, the whole idea of, of you know, high capacity, you know, gu guns is crazy. And I don't understand that would solve the problem. I mean, you know, the thing is, it's, it, it, you know, it's coming, I think. And would you, would you agree to that? I wouldn't. Why? I wouldn't because I think that because now we're saying well you can have this gun but you can't have this gun and look the reality is is that I know many people who are again responsible legal gun owners who have assault rifles mm -hmm. and to say that all of a sudden you know you you cannot I had a representative I told a representative what I own and he looked at me and he said well you shouldn't have that yeah <laughs> and yeah. my idea is wait a minute I have the Constitution that says that I can. And I think that if you do assault rifle bans, I think ultimately, again, it'll be feel good, but I think it'll get, well, it'll get struck down oh, by I the Supreme Court. I think it'll make court. a big difference. I think it'll make a big difference. Let me just finish this up. by. Does that fly in the face of a well-armed militia? Anyway. Well, well, well there that's are plenty, a whole... plenty, I mean, we had a federal law that banned assault weapons and it expired. Right, so 25 it's constitutionally years ago, back right. in the 90s. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, all right, you don't... All well, right, let me just so. ask quickly, because we've got a lot of other topics to get to. 
uh, increasing the age from 18 to 21. Do you have any problem with that? No, I like it. Matter of fact, I'd like to see a background check, mental health background checks on all these kids too. What about you, John, 18 <clears throat> to 21? No, I think it's fine, and I agree with Lou. Mental health, I think, I think the issue here is not magazine capacity and all these other things. You can't have this gun, but it's not who's that using It's the mental gun. health. Yeah. It's mental health. Yeah. When you lock kids away for two years, you legalize weed, you have no parental structure whatsoever, and all this, and you have ultra-violent video games, and now these kids are 18 years old going out and buying guns. This is no surprise. Right. Mental health has got to be a part of this But in the equation. case of Uvalde and the, uh, Oklahoma, the kid turns 18, and then and then in Oklahoma, he buys and three hours later is shooting up. So. That's a waiting period problem. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Uh, the uh, state budget uh, cruised through the House late on Thursday night. It'll go to the Senate, which means the end of the session is almost near $13.6 billion. And I love how on Facebook they, wrote, they say, you know, four years ago today, we were talking on Lively in 2018, Maureen about how the budget was 9.6 million dollars four years ago. Yep. So I understand a lot of this is inflated with COVID money. Your 30,000 foot view on this budget? I think it was pretty good. I mean, in other words, I know the idea that it's 13 billion dollars, but the world has changed a lot. I think it was interesting because I thought what they did was certainly there was some grease in there and there's certain things that didn't need to happen. But, I mean, they took care of the problems that we had. They made a great stride towards that in terms of health care, in terms of education. And um, generally speaking, and I think they resisted, for the most part, funding things that had to be continued. In other words, they were really pretty careful. Shikarchi was pretty careful about that. In other words, one-time stuff, but not anything that we'd make a long-term commitment to. What about the big stuff, Lou? Maybe a temporary suspending of the gas tax and potentially a, that a lowering. Ha- that of the, didn't happen. That did not happen. And a, they tried. They had an amendment uh, on the floor that failed. Some of the Republicans had put forward. Um, and potentially changing the sales tax. I got a sense of a hesitancy that they're worried about the long run by doing something structural. I remember I was on two years ago, and we were talking about the budget, and I pointed out that... And it was $11 billion, right? it, it, it was, it was, it was uh, Yeah, it was 11 or $12 billion, which was twice the budget of the state of New Hampshire. Yeah. Now, I love the state of New Hampshire. Don't go there often, but I like using them as a comparison. They have 400,000 more people than we do here in Rhode Island, and their budget is the same for this year. It's $13.6 billion, just like ours. But they don't have a sales tax. Mm. What, what are we doing wrong that we keep just feeding this beast to the point where we're not going to be... That's why people leave the state of Rhode Island. Well, that's a structure there. And by the way... <laughs> think a generation no, a to but by the way, I do want to say there was $28 million for mental health services for children, and I applaud that. Yeah. And I also applaud the fact that there's going to be another district court judge strictly assigned to a mental health yeah. calendar. That and was like what, the old gun calendar, exact, Judge, years ago exactly. to reflect the times. I, I think there's a lot in this budget that can be celebrated. And I, however... Uh, to answer your question, Jim, the fact that, all right, so we've got a $13 billion budget, okay, and the speaker said there's a lot of one-time things that we have the federal money, we're going to spend it. Now, when you've got a, a sack full of monopoly, monopoly money, okay, and you're spending it and your budget goes up to $13 billion, there's no question why inflation is where it is in this country. I mean, they're printing money like mad and giving it to the states. So we spent it, and we spent it in some good ways. But ultimately, I will make the same argument that I made when I was in the General Assembly 10 years ago. Rhode Island is the country's smallest state, and yet we have one of the largest safety nets in all of the United States of America. Which New Hampshire doesn't have. That's exactly right. If we had, if we had 
a safety net in this state that was commensurate with the size of the state, not one that would equal that of Texas or Florida or California, but one that would equal that of Rhode Island, our budget would not be $13 billion. He speaks the truth. Well, wait a minute. The thing is, when you talk about the New Hampshire thing doesn't work at all. I mean, that's a, that's, you know, that's a rural state. They don't have high they don't have high immigrants. We have a lot of poor people. So it's, the comparison simply doesn't but work. But I think that's exactly his point. Rhode Island attracts a lot of people because of the benefits. Exactly uh, well, right. Know they Just like California. Here. Social spending in this state has been going up, and the trajectory of sp social spending in the state never goes level or down. You can argue, ever. Green, whether that's good or not, but yeah. I'm saying that it is apples and oranges because uh, we are known for having pretty good benefits. Yes, we do. We do. And so you don't want that. You want, you, we, no, I don't what would want you, that. What would you cut? Well, I would, I, I, for example, <clears throat> everybody coming through our southern border is getting free medical care and they're getting staff money. That's not here. That's, no, you know, no, no. Oh, they, about, we don't know that. We don't know that. They're they're being shipped all over. And from what I understood, and I I can't prove this, there was a group that came by bus. They're filtering to, to the states to Central Falls. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So so we should stop illegal immigration and that'll be I pay nine hundred and sixty-five dollars a month for my Blue Cross. Me, just alone, sole policy. Mm -hmm. They're getting free medical care. Well, my argument here is, I have a problem with that. My argument here is just quite simply, if per capita we spent on a safety net in accordance with the size of our state, mm -hmm. our budget would be half of what it is, yeah. and it's not. Our social spending and our, 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 our net in this state has been incredibly, incredibly generous. And we have, and I understand it, it's because of the makeup of the General Assembly. We have a Democratic supermajority. There is nothing that can be stopped. We have no line item veto, and we have no real way, unless certain issues come up, to have, we can override any veto by any governor that we have. It's the problem have. with the one-party system. And, and that ultimately means that the budget just keeps going up and we keep spending. <clears throat> I think that I would, if I had a budget and I had control, <clears throat> I would have returned a lot of money to the taxpayers. Because ultimately, spend less. Let people keep more of what they earn. I agree. I, I mean, the thing is, one thing I didn't understand is, why they didn't let the, the suspend the gas tax, you know, the, yeah. the tax on gas. We got a $900 million surplus. Yeah, I, I didn't get that at all. Well, I, I think part of the reason was, and John, you've seen this before, it happened during the Raimondo years. You propose a budget, and then they added in $750 million more. So where does that, so is that one-time spending? What's the baseline going to be right. for the next fiscal right. year? But I think, you know, I think under these circumstances, I think the Republicans made a good case. But once for you give people a break, it. it's very tough to take it away from well, them. Well, you can. I and mean, that's yeah. what it says. Well, but politically, I think they're worried. Yeah, no, so I you suspend the gas tax, and then all of a sudden gas goes up 25 cents after it's coming down. Because yeah. eventually, you've got to reinstitute Right. You have that to pays for the roads right. and bridges. I think it would, you I wouldn't mean, know, other states You wouldn't know it pays for the roads and bridges in Rhode Island. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I'm right. more optimistic than you all. All right. Uh, the other big issue that's kind of flown under the radar, but uh, has everybody in Pawtucket interested, is the Tidewater Landing. It's a big soccer stadium. Is the anchor. There's housing. There's mixed use. This started out at $285 million. They, inflation, no surprise. Uh, Pawtucket wants an extra $30 million. Looks like the Commerce Board's beginning to balk a little bit. And so it's an interesting dynamic, Lou, because you got Stephen Pryor, who's going to be running, the Commerce Chairman is going to be running for Treasurer. McKee wants this. But the board members themselves, unlike maybe during 38 Studios... That's what they're afraid of. ...are going... I mean, the alarm bells go off. 38 Studios, we do not want another one of those. And, you know, I have to be honest with you, 
soccer just doesn't seem to be something that Rhode Islanders gravitate to. Oh, I don't know. I think I just changing agree. demographic. I think it's it might be, but 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 to make it financially work. But yeah, you can I mean, see a professional team in Gillette, which is only 25, 30 yeah, minutes down the road. Yeah, but local, it's here. It's like, you know, the Paw Sox. We lost that. That's something the community, I would go to those games, and it was the community really enjoyed that. Well, but that's, it, that's baseball. That's baseball. I know. Field? But I think soccer, no, I think the, first of all, I think the whole project is terrific. And I understand the concern because they're going to start with the stadium. And I, and I applaud the, the committee for stepping back and thinking about it more seriously because of, uh, because the whole, it's part of a big package which would make a huge difference for Pawtucket. Um, and so... And what if, what if there's more, or it's $30 million overruns now, right. what if uh, by the time they actually get this thing off the Well, ground, like the Worcester Stadium, who's going to be on the hook if it, if yeah, it right, continues right, to go right. up? You know, Lou mentioned the 30, the 38 Studios hangover, and we've got to get past that. We've got to ultimately understand, and I know it's really inside baseball, that 38 Studios was ultimately a bill that went to the EDC that gave the EDC control of $125 million mm. for small business loans, mm. and that there was a, a, a workout between the Speaker of the House and the Finance Chair that nobody knew about to put it in to one put pot. it in one pot, yeah. and so it, it passed on a 66 to one vote with Bob Watson being the sole the sole vote right. against it because it was it was supposed to be and the road to hell is paved with good intention. It was supposed to be for loans guarantees for loans for small business, but a bunch of politicians got together and made it not that. Mm -hmm. So we can't stop progress in the state of Rhode Island for that one reason, that one instance. I think Pawtucket is an up and coming city. I think they've really turned it around. Don Grebian does, is a great mayor. I understand the concern, but I think soccer, the demographics, I think you'll see a lot of success there. And it's not just saying, let's put a soccer use only stadium over there. Right. With the use of retail, the, 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 you know, the apartment, the housing, yeah, yep. the housing and everything else, Pawtucket has become a destination for the brew, you know, the, the microbrew industry. Mm. I think it'll be a really successful thing. Unfortunately, I have a friend on Echo Lake that's building a house right now. This house is costing them two and a half times what it would have cost them three years ago. I, I also wonder with soccer, I tell the story when my son was eight, uh, our town has an active soccer league. Yeah. Everybody's in it in yeah. the fall. And he finally, when he was eight or nine, he said, hey, Dad, you know, I'd rather play baseball. And I was all for that. I was fine. Mm. And I, but I, I was curious because he's a good athlete, and I thought, if he leaves, he's never going to go back. So I just wanted to know the reason. And I said, so, Cam, why is it that you, you don't want to play soccer? You'd rather play baseball? He goes, I just don't get soccer. It's just a lot of running around. And I thought, that is the American view of soccer, isn't yeah. it? Now, I understand I the demographics are changing, yeah. but but are they really going to make this work financially? It's a 10,000 seat it's soccer. A and it's a minor league. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, it's like it's the, li for, it's like the it's lives golf. it's for the community. It's for the community. If it's the part of the package. Your, your approach is that, like Field of Dreams, if they build it, they will come. No, I'm, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so convinced that if you build look, it, they will come. All I know come. is I I have, uh, you know, my family, they're all, they, they all play soccer. I mean, in other words, all the kids play soccer. It's a big deal. Well, the, would they go to yeah. watch a soccer game? That's oh, the question. Well, a minor league soccer yeah. game. I think, there's a, I think there's a changing demographic. I think that these, these kids that have been grown up with soccer will pay more attention to it. And we have a different demographic. We have a high Latino population. It's very important to them. They're very good at it. And so I think the whole thing is... Um, I think the package is terrific. I agree with you about Grabian, and I, I think 
The soccer stadium adds something to it, but it's got to be part of this larger package, not just a freestanding You want thing. the final word on that? I just think that ultimately one of the concerns probably by the, the Commerce Committee is that is this the city looking for a second bite at the apple after losing the Paw Sox? And, you know, in some ways they in are. In some ways they are. Yeah. However, if we go back, and we can't put the time machine in effect here, but if we can go back, we should have never lost the Paw Sox. Because if we're talking about this and kind of money, money, what was it? If we're talking about this kind of money dollars? for a minor league Absolutely. soccer stadium, yeah. why didn't we just invest in a triple A team that has a beautiful park up in Worcester now and is really doing well with the crowds. Uh, Nick Mattiello has an office in Cranston if you'd like to go ask him yeah, about right. that. That would be <laughs> a good was, question for him now really, that he's out. What a, what a miss that was. It was. Really, yeah, it I was. mean, Absolutely. think of where we would be. And I know Worcester had some cost overruns, but I mean, where would we be right now if we had that mm -hmm. shining... Okay. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't uh, be talking about this. Yeah, exactly. Let's <laughs> uh, let's get to outrageous Andrew. Kudos, Mr. Pulner. Well, you kind of just stole my thunder. I don't have a kudo. I didn't have an outrage. I have a rue. Okay. It's a new category. A rue. And I rue what happened to the Paw Sox, and I rue the fact that one man, the former Speaker of the House, was able to derail that whole beautiful thing that we had going on mm -hmm. here for generations. Mm -hmm. And now they're up in Worcester, Worcester. and they're not here. Yeah. So that's my rue, and I think we wouldn't be having this conversation about the stadium, the cost overruns wouldn't be necessary. Lou, rue's the day that I the Red Sox... You know, that, actually, rue is a good category. I Roo. mean, between, you know... Thank, you know thank okay, you, all right. Yeah, What do you have for me? I have a kudos of the week. And oh, I have, my goodness. Absolutely. And I have to say kudos to Deputy Speaker Charlene Lima, who took out an ad <laughs> in the newspaper in Cranston this week to, you know, recruit a candidate for District 16 in Cranston, the Garden City area, uh, she has had enough with the progressive uh, rep that is there right now, Brandon Potter. I think she, I think Charlene has, has fought the fight all session long against the progressives. I think she's looking for allies. And she took one out of the progressive playbook, went right at him and said, if you're tired of this, and listed all the things you got to check for. out the ad on, uh, the if ad you go, is, there it is. go on it. It's all the things that he stands for. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. Read that, uh, because it's pretty funny. Yeah. Do you want to say in your child's education, are you against defunding our police to keep our neighborhood safe? And it goes on and on. Basically, But she, what's weird is fellow Democrats, and they're in contiguous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. She right. took one right out of the progressive playbook and said, I'm, I've had enough. I'm going right at him. Good for Charlene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. That's good. That's fun. Okay. I have an outrage, a serious outrage. No one can have watched what went on as far as the congressional hearings and not be stunned and appalled. It's awful. I mean, it's just, and you know, you, you, somebody said, well, why are they doing this? What you know, what, what's the benefit of it? You heard these stories about there was some shenanigans and he was trying to get overturned the election. It sounded so crazy when you got it in the media. You're like, well, that's just silly stuff. It wasn't silly stuff. It went on. I mean, the detail that they've gone on to, the, the idea that not only he masterminded this, but now that there are congressional people that are, by the way, asking for pardons because they were involved in this and the tours and so forth and so on, it's appalling and frightening, and uh, I applaud the committee. And um, and I, you know what? It's a funny thing. One little piece of this, I really think when this is over, I mean, you, you're, there's going to be people say, "Oh, it's a hatchet's job. It's a you know witch hunt." You can't talk to them. Forget it. But if you talk to someone who has at least a little bit of an open mind, they have to see. So um, that's my outrage, and it's a big deal. 
Yeah, it was amazing. 50 years ago this week was the break-in at the Watergate. Mm -hmm. And think of what brought Richard Nixon down. It was the cover-up, right? Mm -hmm. Not as much, but mm -hmm. you think of what is tolerated now. Is that We could do a whole show on that. But uh, unfortunately, that is all the time we have uh, for this week. Mr. Brian, good to see you. And Lou and Maureen, always good. Nice to have you back. Folks, come back here next week. We are again heading into the home stretch of the General Assembly. It may be over by this time next week. We will have a full analysis for you and tell you what to look forward to in the coming weeks. Um, we hope you have a great week and join us back here next week as a lively experiment continues. experiment is generously underwritten by hi I'm John Hazen White jr. for over 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS